Let's begin with a word of prayer. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you for this time, space, and place where we, your people, are gathered. And I pray, God, that you would just fill the spaces between us, that wherever we are when we hear this message, that you would be present to us in a way we could be aware of you. Open our ears, open our eyes, that we may hear and see what you want us to. Bring to the surface all that you desire, and I pray that our hearts would be open to follow and respond wherever your spirit leads. In your name we pray, amen. So here we are in the Lenten season, that 40-day period between Ash Wednesday and Holy Week, where we really focus in and concentrate on how to prepare our hearts for um, acknowledging and for understanding at a deeper level what Christ has done for us and accomplished for us on the cross. And so today I just want to talk about a way that we can do that, a really practical way that we can prepare our hearts to receive, to receive all that God has for us in this season and to let go of some of the things that may be weighing us down as we endeavor to do so. Today we're going to talk about maybe not the happiest of topics, but it is very meaningful. We're going to talk about the topic of lament. Now, you might not even know what that word means. I know some young people, when I've used that word before, said lament. Like, what is that? Is that a band? <laughs> no, it is not a band. But lament is a way of expressing our emotions, deep sorrow, deep grief, um, extreme anger, whatever it is, there's deep emotions in each of us. And lament is a way that we can do that directed towards God in prayer. And we're going to talk about how do we pray in this way? How can I express to God what's really going on inside of me? What's so interesting is that if we look through the book of Psalms, over half of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Psalms where mostly David, but other authors as well, express what's really going on in their hearts to God. If you think about it, the people that are closest to you are the people that you're willing to share openly with. The people that you trust the most, the people that you know will be safe people for you, those are the people that you really tell what's going on. Um, you can have your social media face where it's just like, okay, here I am, everything's put together, take my picture now. This is the picture I wanna pose with the right lighting and the right angle and the right background. And people spend a lot of time curating their social media posts, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or whatever is social media you use. And they spend so much time trying to garner the right image so that they're seen in the way that they want to be. But then on Facebook, especially, you get tagged in pictures that are not the most flattering. The lighting's off, the angle's not right, your hair's a mess, maybe there's, you know, something on your face, spinach in your teeth, whatever it is. Just seems like those are the pictures that other people tag you in, <laughs> but the pictures you post for yourself are, like, the ones you want, the aesthetically pleasing photos. And in the same way, sometimes I think we come to community, we come to God, and we come with this... Um, curated picture, an image of ourselves. Okay, God, this is me on my best day. This is me when you and I, we have it all figured out together. Um, my relationship with you is great. This is me worshiping. This is me reading my Bible. <laughs> this is me doing all the right stuff. And we can come before God with this social media face. 
And God really wants our real face. God wants us to bring to him who we really are, not who we think he wants us to be, not who we want to be someday, but who we are right now. God deals in the real lives of real people. Kevin Cope, who's a Christian counselor, had this to say in his foreword to the book Sacred Sorrow, quote, we are often taught that grieving is feeling sorry for yourself, that real strength is to not show any emotion at all, because we do not know how to be sad. We want to get to the end stage of grief. We want the benefits and the results of healing, but we don't want to take time to move through the often long and painful process. So sometimes, especially in North America, we can intellectualize our problems. We can intellectualize our pain. We can spiritualize it even. Oh, well, like things are great, but you know, God is good. Even though inside we might not be feeling God's goodness at that very moment, even if we might have questions or doubt, even if we might be in extreme pain. We need to learn how God can be trusted. God can be trusted with everything inside of us, with the real us, not just the social media version of us. In all of our life, we will experience times of darkness. It's not a matter of if we have trials and pain, it's a matter of when. And so what will we do when we face these things? And that's where lament comes into the picture. That's where this type of praying is so helpful to us because it provides a way for us to respond to these circumstances of life, to respond to what's really in our heart and to respond to God. I know there was a three-year period of my life where I could relate to David in the Psalms. David says so many times in the Psalms, how long, oh God, how long will you forget me? Will you hide your face from me? Everything in me is, is hurting and, and, and all my relationships are broken. And he's constantly despairing and expressing his, his anger and his pain and his hurt. And he's constantly turning it back towards God. And there was a three-year period in my life where it felt like everything that could go wrong was going wrong. I experienced some deep um, pain and loss and grief. During that three-year period, I was working at a church and I was living with um, a pastor and his wife and their three kids. And one of their youngest children, she was nine years old. She got diagnosed with stage four cancer out of nowhere. It was shocking. And so we all prayed and we, we fasted and we sought God for a miracle. And unfortunately, in that case, there was no miracle. The miracle that we prayed for, it didn't materialize in the way that we had expected or wanted. And she passed away. And it left me with a lot of pain and questions and doubt and a lot of, um, of grief. And then immediately on the tails of that, within less than a year, one of my friends who I was a bridesmaid in her wedding, um, unfortunately passed away of cancer as well. And then immediately <laughs> after that, my mom told us that she had been diagnosed with cancer. And it kind of felt like one thing after another, after another, like I would just come up to take a breath and I couldn't fully get it in until the next wave hit me. And there's seasons and times in our life where it can feel like that, where it can feel like, God, are you even paying attention to my life? Did you, did you forget about me? Because it just seems like Everything that can go wrong continues to go wrong. 
and I can't heal because every time I try to heal, it's like I get wounded again and again. And there's so many different areas that that can happen. For me, it was grief and loss. For others, it might be pain or injury. For others, it could be relationships that were estranged from, betrayals and hurt. It could be sin, it could be suffering, it could be separation. There's lots of areas in our life. And for me, lament became a lifeline in that three-year period and beyond. And there was one moment during that, that period of time where I remember saying to God, God, am I losing my faith? Because it just felt like I was drowning and it just felt like he couldn't hear my prayers. And I really felt like the response came back to me. If you're talking to me about it, you're not losing your faith. And so that's when I realized that all these things that happened externally that I have no control over, that are part of being part of a broken world, all of these things that are happening inside of me that I almost have no control over because they're natural um, human emotions and responses to what's happening. I can either allow these things to become a wall blocking God from, my, from me and me from God, saying, you know what, God, you don't care. You know what, God, you didn't answer my prayer. You know what, God, I'm just mad at you and I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to give you the silent treatment. Or I can say, hey, God, you know what? I'm mad at you. I don't understand why this happened. I'm actually super sad or I'm really afraid. Here's what's going on inside me, God. And we let down the drawbridge and it draws us closer into intimacy with God. It draws us closer into relationship with God. Oftentimes as a spiritual director um, in many different settings, I hear a common thread through people's stories. One of feeling like God is distant and God is far away and wondering how, how to bridge that gap. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes we bridge that gap by bringing who we really are. Not who we think church has told us we should be, that we should have it together, or we should have all the answers, or we should always be happy, whatever it is, but who we really are, how we're really suffering, what we really think. And so God invites us to lament. And in lamenting, we discover that we're not putting walls up between us and God, but we're allowing God and we're inviting him right into the depth of our heart, right into our situation. I have a friend who is a potter and um, she she throws pots. I've seen videos of her doing it <laughs> and she she takes a lump of clay and she puts it on the wheel and she spins it and spins it and she kind of makes something and then she might dry it out a little bit and think, you know, I was going to make that a vase, but it looks more like it should be a pitcher for, for water or something like that. There's a little bit of a deformity here. I think I'm going to... Um, going to work on that a little bit more. And so she'll take that, that pot and she'll, and she'll, after it's dry and she'll say, Oh, I need to fix this. I need to change something. I need to perfect this. I need to form this a little bit more, but it's already hardened. And so what she does is she'll take that hardened piece of clay and she'll smash it on the ground. And you can look at her and say, what are you doing? Why are you smashing your pot on the ground? Like, just leave it. Okay. There's something, you know, that could be improved, but it's fine. But then it, it kind of shatters. It shatters into all of these pieces. And you think, okay, well, that was a waste of your time and a waste of money. And what a waste. But then she lovingly picks up each and every piece that has scattered and shattered. And she takes them and she puts every little jagged edge into a bowl of water. 
And when you take these hardened pieces of clay that are misshapen, that are misformed, that are sharp, and you put them into water, something amazing starts to happen. It starts to bubble. You start to hear a little bloop, 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 bubbling in that water. And that clay that was once hard and jagged and sharp starts to become soft in the water. And eventually she's able to, after she's gathered those pieces and soaked them in this water and softened them, put this clay back on the wheel and begin spinning the wheel again and begin forming something new and begin reforming and reshaping this clay into her design. And in the same way, God is our potter. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, he did a lot of lamenting, talks about God being the potter and us being the clay and how the clay can't say to the potter, hey, what are you making? <laughs> Do you even know what you're doing? We can be like that clay. And sometimes we can think, man, my life is just a bunch of broken pieces. And we can try to pick up those broken pieces and we try to hide them from God sometimes. And we can pick it up and if you have ever held like a, a sharp piece of clay in your hands, you know that the stronger you hold onto it, the tighter your grip is around that piece of clay, the more that it's going to pierce into your skin. It's going to hurt. And so what we have to do is we have to relinquish. We have to let it go. Lament is how we let go of the broken pieces of our life and we surrender them to God and we allow God to soften us and to soften those hard, harsh parts and to reform and to reshape our life into something beautiful. God is a good potter and we are his clay and lament allows us to let go when we give it to God and we trust him. We see this with Mary and Martha. Do you remember Lazarus, their brother was, he was sick and he was not getting better. And Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, uh, the one who you love is sick. Like in other words, come on, can you come help us? I mean, he's been, Jesus at this point has been healing people, deaf people, blind people, helping people to walk again. Surely he can help his friend Lazarus. And when Jesus finds out that Lazarus is not well in John chapter 11, what Jesus does is he stays where he was a few more days. And you can think, hey, Jesus, that makes no sense. <laughs> kind of a friend are you, Jesus? Like, there are no cars. You better get moving. You better start walking. You better get a donkey or something. You got to get there, Jesus. And yet Jesus says, it's not time yet. Don't worry. It'll all work out. <laughs> and even his disciples are questioning him and being like, what's going on? He's like, oh, well, he's just asleep. And the disciples said, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. And then he finally says, no, he's actually dead. And they're like, wait, if he's dead, like, why didn't you, why didn't you rush? Like, that seems urgent, Jesus. And Jesus gets there. And what he finds is he finds Martha. She runs out to Jesus. And what does she do? She says, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. If you had only been here. That's the lament of Martha's heart. She doesn't run out and say, you are all wise and all knowing. Um, it's fine. My brother died, but it'll be okay. I trust you anyway. Like, no, she comes with her doubt. She comes with her confusion. She comes with her questions. But she also comes saying, like, I know you could have done something. Like, I know you have power to do this. That's what I believe. But I can't, I can't, um, 
I, I can't integrate what I know about you to be true, that you, you have all this power to heal, and yet you didn't in this case. I can't understand, Lord, if you had only been here. And then it says right after that, Jesus doesn't come and say, oh, well, yes, I could have, but you need to trust me a little bit more, Martha, that I know what I'm doing. He doesn't scold her. He doesn't give her a theological lesson right there. The next thing that he does, so that's in verse 32, John, 11, John chapter 11. And then in verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her, that's Martha, weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. In the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus is not afraid of your real emotions. Jesus is not afraid of how you really feel, of your grief, of your pain, of your anger, of your confusion. He invites us to bring that to him. And his response is he's moved with love. He's moved with compassion. Jesus weeps. He actually weeps so um, profoundly that the Jews say, wow, see how much he loved him? See how much Jesus loved Lazarus that he would weep like this? They wouldn't have said that if he just had like a lone, you know, Oscar winning tear coming down his cheek. Like he was weeping. But some of them said, could he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So now they're, they're questioning, but they're not questioning in Jesus' direction. So Martha questions in Jesus' direction. Martha laments in Jesus' direction. The, the other Jews, they're not. They're complaining about Jesus. So they've made a wall. They've allowed this Lazarus situation to become a wall between them and Jesus saying, couldn't he have done something? I mean, he helped other people. What kind of friend is this? Like, he's not going to help Lazarus, not going to help Mary and Martha. Like, couldn't he have done something? So either he couldn't have, so like they don't have any faith or trust that he could have done something, or he's like, he's just a horrible person that could have and didn't do anything. And so they're complaining about Jesus, but that's different than lamenting to Jesus like Martha did. Martha put her trust in Jesus, and so she could trust him with the depths of her heart. And we know eventually in this situation that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And so many start to believe at that point because of what Jesus has done. But before they could even understand what was happening, Mary and Martha brought their feelings to Jesus, their heart to Jesus. And we need to bring those things to Jesus. We see John the Baptist, who's Jesus's cousin. And he's the one who baptizes Jesus in the Jordan and who sees the spirit of God rest upon Jesus like a dove. And he, they hear the voice of the father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So John witnesses this miraculous moment. And John is the one who's testifying to Jesus. He must become greater. I must become less. And then John faces trials and troubles of going to prison of, of being feeling forgotten that Jesus is on his own ministry and, and here's John suffering in prison. And John sends his disciples to ask Jesus at this point, are you the one who was to come or are we to expect someone else? In other words, John's kind of lamenting, John's questioning, John's doubting. Is this, is he really the Messiah? Because if he is or if he was, why am I still in prison? 
Why am I still having this experience? And sometimes in our life, that happens. We can have these experiences that seem incongruent with the things that we're taught in church, with the things that we read in scripture. And we think, if God really loved me, if God really cared about me, he would do something to change my situation. And so the enemy can come in and sow doubt and fear and lies into our mind. If God was really real, then this shouldn't have happened or this should have happened. And what we have to do is we have to orient. We have to bring those thoughts and those feelings and those questions to God. Not hide them away from God as if God's going to be shocked or surprised that that's there. He knows what's in our mind, what's in our hearts. But he invites us to bring them to him. And so John sends his disciples to ask Jesus, Hey Jesus, what's the deal here? And Jesus says, Tell John what you see and what you hear. Explain to John what I'm doing here. And so John's lament goes out to Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't fix everything automatically. He doesn't go, I'm going to break John out of prison. He doesn't. John dies in prison. But Jesus sends back hope to John that I am who I say that I am, that I'm doing the things I've been sent to do. And we don't understand God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are high above. We don't always understand what he's doing, but we can trust and we can know that he cares and that he loves us. In 1 Peter, we read that we should cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. So knowing that God cares, we can bring our cares to him. In Exodus, the people of God were in slavery for, for decades. They were in slavery for 400 years, actually, <laughs> more than decades. And in Exodus 3, 7, the Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. God sees and God hears. He's not like an idol made, um, made of clay or made of porcelain or made of some other substance that is formed by human hands. God can see and God can hear. And the thing is, God doesn't just see and hear and be um, detached from us. But God cares and he comes close to us in our suffering. 2 Corinthians 1.13 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. God comes close. He has compassion on our suffering. He comforts us. And, and then when we're comforted in our sorrow, when we're comforted in our trial, when we're comforted in our pain, we then have an overflow of comfort and love and compassion and grace for other people. Henry Nouwen talks about us being wounded healers, that each of us have a wound or wounds, and it is through those wounds that Christ's love pours out. That in those areas where we have experienced the most pain, that we have had to invite Christ in and invite God's presence into those deep, dark places of our lives, that then those become places of light and places of love and places of healing for other people. Throughout the scriptures, we see the importance of lament. In fact, there's an entire book called Lamentations for a Reason. Because God invites us to bring all of life to him. The psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, in all that is within me. All that is within me, bless his holy name. What is within you? 
if all you have right now is a prayer of tears, then that's what you bring to the Lord. If all you have right now is a clenched fist and anger and, and shame and pain and doubt, then bring that to God. All of life is fuel for prayer. All of our human experience can be brought to God. David says, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? He asked that question first. Why are you downcast? Have you asked yourself that? If you're having a tough day or if you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, that sort of a feeling. Have you ever asked yourself, like, why? Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Sometimes we like to pretend that everything's fine when it's not. Ask yourself that question. Bring the answer to God. Because then he says, I, I put your hope in God for I will yet praise him. So there's, a, there's something that has to happen between asking yourself, why are you downcast? And then putting your hope in God. That's lament. That's bringing what's going on inside of us to God and knowing that he will receive us. We see this in David's life and I'm gonna invite us to do some responsive readings um, based on David's life and how David experienced lament. Because sometimes we need help with the language. It's like, okay, I know I should lament. I know I should bring what's going on in me to God. I know I'm supposed to be doing that. But how? How do I begin this conversation with God that's so difficult and so tough? And that's what's beautiful about the Psalms is that it provides language for our human experience and language for prayer. And so we're going to go through three different types of lament here in a responsive reading prayer from selections from various Psalms of David. The first thing that we can lament is our sin. And we see David's life very clearly. We see the sin that was in David's life. So even though David was anointed by God to be king and he had a bright and shiny future, there was a whole lot of things that happened to David during the course of his life. And one of them, probably the most well-known portion of David's life, unfortunately, was the sin that he committed. And we know the story that when the kings were meant to go out to battle, David stayed back home. And one day he sees Bathsheba bathing on um, a rooftop and he starts lusting after her in his heart. So that's step number one. He's lusting after her and longing for another man's wife. And then he calls for her to come to him. So in that kind of a culture, Bathsheba wouldn't have had any consent or say. He's the king. Whatever he wants goes. And so essentially, uh, many writers have to say that she was raped because that's not a consensual adulterous relationship when you have no consent to give. And so here he is taking advantage of this woman, this married woman, committing adultery, committing basically rape, committing um, this offense against her and her body against God. Then her husband, he, she gets pregnant. He doesn't want her husband to find out. So he sends her husband to the front of the army so that he will most likely die as quickly as possible. So David can hide this sin. So now he's guilty essentially of murder. And he, his sin just kind of keeps snowballing. And then Nathan comes to him and exposes the sin to David. And David has to bring this now to God, this heaviness that he's been carrying this sin that has been weighing him down and he brings it to the light and he brings it to God. And we see that here in Psalm 51, which is the Psalm um, that David pens during this situation. And so I'm going to read um, the regular portions and anything that's bold in, I'm going to invite you to read. Um, if you're with other people, then please um, read this out loud together and we'll make this our prayer 
a way of bringing these parts of ourselves to God. Lament for sin, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Surely I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. And so we can bring our sin. We can lament over how what our sin has cost us, what our sin has cost our relationships, and what our sin has cost us in our relationship with God. And so David models that for us, this lament for sin. Another lament that we see throughout scripture, and particularly in the Psalms, is the lament for suffering as part of being um, in a broken and sinful world. The sin of others can affect us, even when we've done nothing wrong. The choices other people make with their free will can hurt us and wound us and injure us in severe ways and can have consequences far beyond their choice. And so sometimes we suffer because of other people's choices. Sometimes we suffer because of our own choices. And sometimes we suffer just because we're part of this broken world. You can't turn on the news um, these days without seeing people hurting all around the whole world. And none of us are an exception to that. And so here we see David lamenting his suffering. He suffered in the desert many years running from Saul, who was jealous and who was angry. He was also the father of his very best friend in the whole wide world. So he has to leave his best friend and his comfortable life. He has to leave his wife and he's running for his life. This angry, jealous Saul is chasing him in the desert, wanting his life. And so David's experiencing suffering. And in the midst of that, we see here in Psalm 22, we're going to responsively read together David's Psalms of Lament. And what's so fascinating about this particular psalm is this is the psalm that Jesus quotes from the cross. And as we move towards Holy Week together, we can come and um, identify with this psalm and say, it's for my suffering too that you bore suffering. Lord Jesus, you are not separated from my suffering as if you are so far above it, but you have entered down incarnationally and come being God, fully God and fully man. And on the cross, you bore it, not just my sin, but also my suffering. And so let's pray this responsively together. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, and you do not answer. By night, and I find no rest. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. 
but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. So we see that there's laments for sin. There's laments for suffering. And there's laments for separation. Separation is um, a particular kind of suffering where we've lost a relationship. That can happen through death. That can happen through betrayal. That can happen through distance and time. And we can feel alone or isolated. We can feel confused by these separations that we experience in our life. With some of us, we might even feel separated from God in some way. And maybe lamenting those those feelings that I used to feel close to God and now he feels so far away. Bringing that to God can sometimes lessen that feeling of separation. And so for David, he, he went through this. He went through death. He went through estrangement. He went through um, friendships ending and a dysfunctional, dysfunctional family. His relationship with his children was dysfunctional, especially with Absalom. So Absalom was one of his sons who tried to overthrow him again as king and then died in battle. And so David had to wrestle this. We see this in Psalm 3. This is the psalm that David uh, wrote when he was running away from his own son in that in mourning that separation. And then Psalm 13, which is traditionally felt to be the, the psalm that David wrote after this battle and after this time of, of seeing Jonathan die and Absalom die and all of these separations that he experienced. And so I'm going to invite you to responsively pray Psalm 13 with me, the Psalm of David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And so we come to lament and the Psalms give us language to lament and to bring all that's in our heart, sin and suffering and separation to bring all that is in your heart to God. That is the invitation today. Let's pray. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I thank you for each person here today who has heard this message. And I pray God that even if we're not in a season where this seems totally applicable to us, that you know the course of our life and you know when we'll need this. So I pray God that you would help us to remember it and to remember how to use lament so that we'll bring to you what's going on inside of us. So we will trust you with the deeper parts of our heart. I pray that for those of us who are experiencing a season where lament is incredibly applicable, that we would sense and know your presence drawing near to us, that you would be close. God, you are close to the brokenhearted. And I pray that sense of closeness, that we are not alone. And I thank you, God, that there is more than enough, more than enough in you for all that we're facing. 
And I pray, God, that you bring support people and people of compassion and comfort and love to each one who needs it. In your name we pray. Amen.